You're listening to the DNB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Hello, everyone. This is Matt Breckwald, and welcome back to the DNB Supply Show. Hey, thank you so much for being here. We truly hope that you are having just an absolutely wonderful Thanksgiving holiday this year. Really hope that you've been able to get together with family, have a great meal, and really reflect back on all the things that we have to be thankful for. Living here in Idaho, in Oregon, in the West, and of course in the United States of America. So happy Thanksgiving to all of you. And in the spirit of that, I was so excited to be able to interview our guest today. His name is Jerry Apps, and I had interviewed him previously for my podcast, the Off Farm Income Podcast. And I thought, man, it would be great to have him on the D&B Supply Show for our Thanksgiving episode. Now, he is an author, and he's from Wisconsin, but he's written over 40 books all about, well, not all of them, but about 38 of them, all about what it was like to grow up on a farm and to live on a farm and a farmstead in the 1930s and the 1940s. Some of my favorites are his book, Rural Wit and Wisdom in a Pickle, which is just a great novel. And Country Ways and Country Days. And I've really enjoyed getting to know Jerry and to read what he's written about farming in the old times. And for any of you who remember the stories from parents or from grandparents or even your own childhoods, or those of you who just love the agricultural and the Western lifestyle, but who don't know firsthand what it was like back then, Jerry really, really brings it to life. And so I was really excited to have him on and to talk all about what Thanksgiving was like on a rural farmstead where he grew up in Wisconsin way back in the 1930s and the 1940s. I think you're really going to enjoy it. I hope you enjoy getting to know Jerry Apps and happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Joining me today is Jerry Apps, and I've had the pleasure of speaking with Jerry before about farming the way it used to be in the 1930s, the 1940s, and 50s, and even earlier than that. And Jerry's the author of several books about farming uh, the way it used to be and in novels and other stories about uh, farming today. So really was looking forward to bringing him on the show today and talking about Thanksgiving and his experiences on the farm during Thanksgiving when he was a young man. Jerry, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for coming on. Always glad to do it. Thanks for asking me. Uh, You bet. It's always a pleasure to speak with you, and I was really excited to share you with our audience here on the D&B Supply Show and and, uh, excited to talk about how things used to be. So I wanted to ask you, uh, for our audience, if you could kind of tell us just a little bit about your life and your journey and how you've come to write, oh, 40-plus books about old-time farming now. Well, it starts um, uh, way back when I was uh, 12 years old, uh, and growing up on our uh, central Wisconsin farm where we had no electricity at the time, we had no indoor plumbing, uh, we had a small dairy herd and milked cows by hand. And in the, um, in the winter of 1947, uh, when I was in eighth grade at a one-room country school, I came down with polio, and in those years, before 1955, when the vaccine became available, uh, there were literally thousands of, mostly kids, but a few adults, who were coming down with polio, and I was one of them. And as a result of polio, I was bedridden for a couple months, uh, unable to walk. My right leg had been paralyzed. 
And as a result of that, uh, of, of polio, and I finally by summer was learning how to walk again and going into high school, I couldn't do any of the sports. I could barely stand up. Uh, think about playing baseball was out of the question. And so my um, one of my teachers suggested that it might be a good thing. Uh, I might find it of interest uh, to take up typewriting. Well, typewriting in 1947 uh, was not for boys. Only girls essentially took typewriting because it was a portal to these young women getting jobs in some office someplace. And so here I am among a group of girls learning how to type and discovered I, I kind of liked it because I'd been milking cows by hand and we had, these were manual typewriters. Uh-huh. People today don't know what they are. Uh, but you had to really work at it to type on a manual typewriter. I discovered uh, quickly as I was a part of this typewriting class that it was also the newspaper office because everyone knew how to type. And so I was doing uh, reporting, uh, going, talking to people and writing up little stories. And by the time I was a senior, I was editor of the newspaper, writing all the editorials, writing all kinds of things. I just loved it. It was the most fun thing I'd ever done. And tell you the truth, I'd never gotten over it. (laughs) I'm still doing it many, many years later. Very, very fun. Well, it's all of our benefit, and I've read uh, several of your books now and really, really enjoy them. And I think that's one of the things that draws so many of us to uh, the agricultural lifestyle. Here in Idaho, we call it the Western lifestyle, and that is those images of that farm lifestyle that we know of from our own childhoods, our parents, our grandparents, whatever it may be. And and you do such a good job of bringing that out and and kind of displaying that and letting us all relive that a little bit or or live it for the first time if we didn't experience it firsthand. And and I understand that you just have a new book coming out that is very appropriate for the Thanksgiving season. Yes, my my new book, which has been out a a few weeks now, is uh, entitled Old Farm Country Cookbook. Old Farm Country Cookbook. And my daughter Susan and I wrote this book together. Susie is a high school or a grade school teacher and a very good cook. So she worked on the recipes and I worked on the stories. And rather than organize this book around uh, such things as desserts and casseroles and like that, we've organized it around stories. Stories related to Christmas, stories related to Thanksgiving, stories related to thrushing, cruise, Stories related to wood sawing bees, all of which was a part of my growing up. Mm-hmm. The book features what it was like on the farm in the 30s and 40s, especially the years of the Depression and the years of World War II. And without electricity and without indoor plumbing and with a wood stove, my mother prepared all of our meals. And this is the story of how that was done. This book is the story of how that was done. And it, it sort of renews our interest in the what many people today claim to be a really new idea, the farm-to-table movement, which right. is very strong across this country. And we were doing that without... That was the only way to do it back in the 30s and 40s. And it's, it's sort of fun today to see people revisiting what it's like to grow your own food, to know where your food comes from, to prepare food that you have grown, and, you, and, and, and the, the, how wonderful it is to know that, yes, I grew those carrots and, and so on. 
So that that's a little bit of the book, Old Farm Country Cookbook. Well, that's great, and I look forward to reading that one as well. And I'll tell you what, let's take a break, and then when we come back, I want to start talking about what Thanksgiving was like on the farm back then. Sound okay? That sounds great. Say you were to ride off into the sunset. Ideally, what kind of boots and clothes would you be wearing? For horseback riders of all styles, nothing beats the look and performance of Ariat. Available at D&B Supply. Everyone from famous rodeo cowboys to country music legends to equestrian Olympians turn to Ariat with confidence. You can count on them too. Think of Ariat as your ultimate riding companion for the life and times in the West. When you need to better outfit your ride with Ariat, stop on by your favorite D&B Supply. Another cold winter will make keeping water from freezing a tough task. Don't leave your livestock iced out. Pick up a Farm Innovator Stock Tank De-Icer from D&B Supply. Farm Innovator Stock Tank De-Icers are designed to keep your animals' water from freezing and only come on when they need to. Find the right one for your tank with a variety of types and sizes in stock at D&B Supply. Break winter's icy grip with Stock Tank De-Icers from Farm Innovators. Available at your favorite D&B Supply. Well, Jerry, let's talk about what it was like this time of year. So here we are. It's the Saturday after Thanksgiving 2017, and we're we're all still reflecting on the holiday and what it has meant to us, and probably many of us still have family around in, the, in our homes, and we have leftovers, and, and really the holiday goes on through the end of the, the weekend. What was Thanksgiving like for you on the farm when you were a young man? Well, it was... Um one of those wonderful holidays where we could expect meals uh, that were similar to and often better than the meals that we got when we were on a threshing crew and I had the opportunity to do that. So on the farm in, at this, this time of the year in November in Wisconsin, we were deep in, in the 30s and 40s. We were deep into winter already. It was cold. And there was snow on the ground. And there's another side that I, uh, listeners may find, find a little weird, maybe. But the week of Thanksgiving was deer hunting season in Wisconsin. And everybody in the rural community, uh, rural communities of Wisconsin, was a deer hunter, as were we. And so if we had successfully bagged a deer the Saturday prior to Thanksgiving, all was well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my mother was concerned that had we not, she knew that after the big meal, rather than taking a nap or sitting around telling stories, we would be back out deer hunting. So that was a little bit of an aside. Now, also, and this may sound a little strange, too, but my father never liked turkey. <laughs> he thought the meat was too dry. He just wanted nothing to do with turkey. So a couple of weeks prior to Thanksgiving, we would travel to a, a nearby city called Stevens Point. It's about a three-quarters of an hour away from our farm. And there they had, today we'd call them farmer's markets. In, in those days, they, they, they were cattle fairs, they were called. And you could buy everything at a cattle fair. You could buy a little pig. You could buy a turkey. You could buy a duck. So my dad, prior to Thanksgiving, would buy a live duck at the cattle fair, and we would bring it home in a sack, in a gunny bag. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Here it's sitting in the back seat of the car, and we've got a duck in the, in the sack that we're holding. 
<laughs> well, that was that. That was the the duck that sat on the table on Thanksgiving Day, and I, in my new book, I've got the recipe for how to prepare duck, something that my dad really liked. Very interesting. Now, did you did you keep birds on your farm? Did we keep what? Did you keep birds? I guess chickens would be the name. Oh, chicken. Yeah, sure. No, we always had chickens. Of course, we had chickens. My, uh, we had as many as 150 uh, chickens at one time, because it was the chickens that provided the eggs for my mother's income, her chicken money, uh, <laughs> egg money, as she called it. Uh, that's what she used to buy groceries. That's what she used to uh, buy clothes sure. uh, for, for my two brothers and me. That's what she used uh, uh, to buy Christmas presents. So. The chicken flock uh, was was very important, and of course we ate a lot of chicken too, but not at Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving <laughs> was a special meal with this with this duck. Well, that... everything on the Thanksgiving table, uh, with maybe two exceptions, was grown on our own farm. Cranberries. We did not grow cranberries. They grew not very far. Wisconsin's still number one in cranberry producing state in the nation so we a lot of cranberries were easily accessible so we we bought cranberries and then um well the other things that my mother would buy would be flour and salt so we of course needed to get those but everything else on the table whether they'd be green beans carrots sauerkraut we made a lot of sauerkraut in those days uh all of the desserts they all came from they came from the farm well, and I was going to ask you about that, and I found it interesting that your dad didn't like turkey, so you would drive to the the farmer's market, uh, but I'm sorry, what was it called, the, the beef? Cattle fair. Cattle fair, and you'd buy the, you'd buy the duck. Now, uh, obviously, he wouldn't be raising turkeys if he didn't like to consume turkeys, but why not raise a few ducks? Well, we did. We tried doing that. But if you, uh, if you were growing up in central Wisconsin in the 30s and 40s, there were a lot of, and our our neck of the woods was fairly fairly remote. We had twenty acres of woods backing up to our house. The weasels would come in and the and the uh, and kill the ducks. They'd happened a couple of times. And why why the chickens didn't suffer from that same fate? I I've never really figured out. Maybe the ducks were more stupid than the chickens. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, um, that's one of the reasons we didn't grow ducks. We tried it one time. And, and and that uh, that was a weasel that came in and killed the ducks. It's okay. terrible. Well, now you you were talking about the food on the table at Thanksgiving being produced on your farm, and that relates a ton to this. Uh, I guess this circular pattern of this farm to table movement that's going on across the United States right now certainly was happening when you were a young man. So the pumpkin pie, all the all the different trimmings, the stuffing, and things like that, uh, you were sourcing that right off your own place. That's right, and I failed to mention some of the. We have a German background in our family, so that's the sauerkraut. But we also butchered a pig too. Uh, failed to mention that we didn't have pork chops or anything like that at Thanksgiving, but we did have things like head cheese. And you need to look in my book to see what that is. It's uh-huh. not cheese in the sense of coming from milk, but it comes from the pig. So there were certain certain parts of the pig that we saw as a kind of a delicacy that we would have at, at Thanksgiving as well. So there, there was quite a variety of things, as a matter of fact. Uh, we also grew rutabagas, and lots of them. 
And so rutabagas were a part of, 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 of the meal. Well, Jerry, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, I want to ask you how your mom was able to prepare all of this food with the technology that you had back then. D&B knows that life in the West is defined by hard work, innovation, and constant improvement. These values made the West what it is today, and these are the values that have made Wrangler the defining Western brand since 1947. Wrangler Apparel is designed to feel good in the saddle, look sharp at the rodeo, and work hard on the ranch. That's why Wrangler fits with classic Western heritage like a boot in a stirrup. For clothing that's a good value and steeped in Western values, Stock up on Wrangler at your favorite D&B Supply. Out West, our tough winters aren't for the light of heart or the light of foot. Reboot your winter boots and bound confidently into the cold with a pair of Sorel boots from D&B Supply. Sorel boots were born in Canada to tackle the toughest winters with hefty construction, premium leather, and superior wool for maximum warmth. Anyone who owns a pair can tell you that they'll turn even the nastiest blizzard into a breeze for your feet. Kick the cold with Sorel Boots, available now at your favorite D&B Supply. Well, Jerry, now that we're back, can you talk a little bit about, I don't know, about how it all worked in the kitchen and how your mom was able to do all of this? I, I never did understand how my mother uh, could do all of this food preparation uh, on a wood stove with no thermometer. Uh, she had no idea what the temperature was. And when people would say, Eleanor, how do you know when the, when, the, when the stove is ready to bake bread? And she said, well, geez, that's easy to know. All you do is open the oven door and put your hand in. And if it feels like it's ready, well, then it's ready. How, <laughs> people today, they roll their eyes at that. Put your hand in the oven to tell her, tell her it's ready to bake. Well, that's what people, farm women did in those days and they had to know my mother had to know the difference between the heating quality of oak wood and and pine wood pine wood burns quickly and starts a fire oak wood holds the heat my mother knew all of that i know all of that i, st- I still cook on a wood stove i have at my farm i love doing that well and i wanted to ask you more about cooking on the wood stove so there's a lot of cooking to do to prepare a thanksgiving meal so when did she have to start well, she would start probably two, three days ahead of time uh, baking the pies, pumpkin pie and apple pie and, and mince meat pie. People today don't even know what that is. I've got, we've got a recipe in my new book about that. And so she would start several days ahead of time with the baking, which might include baking bread along with the, with the pies. And, and then uh, and, and as we got closer to Thanksgiving, well, then she would be up, and we were always up early anyway, but she would be would have the duck in the oven right off the bat in the morning mm-hmm. so that it could uh, so it could bake all morning so it was a it was a matter of timing uh, and and another another thing about wood stove cooking is you can't be in a hurry it's it's got its own time and and that's something that we have lost sight of today in our hurry hurry world that everything has it has its own time and and we we've forgotten how to be patient in knowing that it may take a little longer to prepare something on a wood stove because you can't control the heat so quickly. But the patience in knowing that the product that will result will be so wonderful contributes, I hope, and it did in those days, to the patience required for the cooking to be finished. Yeah, that's right. Nothing worthwhile comes quickly, right? 
Well, that's true, and and we somehow this uh, our present day society has lost sight of that, and and to me those are some of the what I've just mentioned is one of the lessons we can learn from looking back at the history of rural America and what the values and beliefs were at the time. No question about that. I think you're a hundred percent right on that. Now, I wanted to ask you, it's it's so fascinating to think about cooking a huge meal like this on a wood-fired stove, and in one of your books, uh, I think it's called Reflections, but you'll have to fix me on that, but I read through it, and you, you have a picture of the old wood-burning cook stove, and you talk all about the different uses and how it, how it went on. I thought that was just fascinating. It really makes you want to do it. It makes you want to try it, at least. Yeah, I... I, I one of the things we've done in this in this cookbook we just prepared is 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 to translate the recipes, for example, into today's for today's cooks. My daughter has put the temperatures in and the timing, all of which uh, we uh, she tried the recipes so that she would know this. The idea is that I, I would like people to experience what it was like, what the foods were like in the days when I was a kid. But but to be able to do it using today's approaches with thermometers and time and all that sort of thing. Uh, so we, we're, we're trying to tie yesterday to today so that we can, the reader can experience what it was like, but not be so frustrated in knowing what in the world is a pinch of this and a pinch of that. And, and season to taste, and when it's done, take it out of the oven. What does all of that mean <laughs> to to present day's cook? But not much. So, but my, meant a lot to my mother. Well, with with cooking like that all day long or days in advance, were you just running constantly to keep a constant supply of wood for your mom to be keep the stove sure. going? Sure. Uh, here, here's the here's the deal. <laughs> When the farm work, including well, one of the last big projects, was was taking in the corn, once that work was done, then we turned to what what is called we called making wood. Now we didn't create the wood; we <laughs> went out to the woodlot and cut down trees. And and there was a wood sawing bee when all the neighbors came together and sliced this wood up into chunks, and then we split it into small pieces and stored it in a woodshed, which was attached to the house. So all we had to do, and there was a wood box sitting right by the stove. And one of the first jobs that I had as a kid, I bet I wasn't more than three years old or four, was to make sure that the wood box was filled all the time. That's the job for little kids. And then then little kid can do it, three, four pieces of wood at a time, fill the wood box. I learned very early what's the difference between pine wood and oak wood because my mother would say, now, don't bring in pine wood. You can't bake with pine wood. So I knew about oak wood and so on. So that, that's, that's how it worked. And during that time, that two or three day stretch, was your house warmer than normal from all the cooking going on? Not really. <laughs> the, house, the house fundamentally was cold. Because it was not insulated, and there were no storm windows, and and I would say rather than being excessively warm, it was abundantly comfortable, both in in feel and in smell. Because the mixture of baked goods and oak smoke and maybe a tinge of the 
smell of sauerkraut all mixed together to build a wonderful sense of meaning and a wonderful, for me, a wonderful, wonderful memory of what it was like. Well, absolutely. I feel like I can smell it right now, Jerry. Well, I'll tell you what, let's take another break, and when we come back, I want to ask you a little bit more about what it was like, okay? Sure. A well-worn pair of Danner boots has become a hallmark for hardworking and hard-playing people in the West, and everywhere else for that matter. Find your next pair of long-lasting, great-looking, made-in-the-USA Danner boots at D&B Supply. Hold a Danner boot in your hand, and you'll notice the handcrafted precision. Try it on, and you'll feel the difference. Test it against the elements, and you'll appreciate the value of a product that's built to last. From classic hiking boots, to handcrafted work boots, to fashion-forward looks to fit your daily life, stop on by D&B Supply to try Danner Boots on for size. Even if your trusty steed is turning old and gray, she's still got a lot of life left in her, so take care of her changing nutritional needs with the right food, like Cargill Neutrina Safe Choice Senior from D&B Supply. Safe Choice Senior is a high-fat, low-starch blend with organic minerals and pre- and probiotics that increase fiber digestion, maintain energy, and improve skin, hair, and hoof quality. Feed your trusty steed what she needs with Cargill Neutrina Safe Choice Senior. Available now at your favorite D&B Supply. Well, Jerry, you brought up deer season, and I wanted to ask you about that. So were you ever able to provide some of the food for the Thanksgiving meal from your exploits out in the woods? Sure. In the very early days, this would be in the late 1930s, uh, we had no deer in central Wisconsin uh, to speak of. We had to travel some 25 miles to find a deer. That's changed now. There are deer everywhere. They're on my farm. They're menaced. But we would, by the time I was 12, you had to be 12 years old to hunt deer. By the time I was 12 years old, I was out hunting deer with my dad. And we would, most every year, one of us would, would bag a deer. And venison then became a part of our meat supply for the winter. And farm farm-fed venison, and that's what it, they were. They were feeding on our alfalfa and our cornfields and all that stuff. It was wonderful, wonderful meat. So, yes, we did provide some of the food for the table through our deer hunting exploits. It was fun deer hunting, of course, but there was much more to it than fun. I have a whole chapter, again, in my book on on hunting and we and fishing, and we lived on venison, squirrel, rabbit, pheasants, quail, we had them at the time, and did a lot of fishing in the winter so that we caught northern pike, a lot of northern pike. And we would, uh, well, fish was a very important part of our diet in the winter as well. Now, who would be around your Thanksgiving table during this holiday? It would depend somewhat, but generally speaking, we would would invite, this, this would be my mother's sister, and her family, uh, her boys, they would be sitting around the table. And some years, the, both of her sisters, they would both be there. But in, in some years, it was different. Some years, it would be some of my dad's relatives. But there were always relatives uh, around the table. Uh, that was a part of the celebration. That was part of Christmas as well. We always uh, we always brought relatives together. And it was the food, in, in, in many ways, that tied us all together. Uh, because the Depression years were awful. Nobody had much of anything, but we always had something to eat. Mm-hmm. And the war years, 1941 to 45, were challenging in a different way because you couldn't buy sugar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we depended on 
sorghum. We grew sorghum, sweet sorghum, mm-hmm. and used that as a sweetener. But again, it's the family getting together and eating together and swapping stories that uh, made those miserable times. And looking back today, it's hard to put a really positive look at the Depression years because that was an awful time. Mm-hmm. And World War II had its own difficulties. But it was getting us, bringing us all together and in, in celebrating a birthday, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and so on, that made life more well, bearable is maybe a too strong a word, but it it, uh, it it certainly helped a lot to take our minds off of the difficulties of the time. Now, speaking of, and I don't know that this is the right word, but you're, you're talking about family coming over and who would be around the table. What about your community during the holidays? Were there community events uh, surrounding Thanksgiving? Uh, not not so much Thanksgiving as Christmas and all kinds of events. Sure. Uh, there. We probably have a little party at the country school uh, celebrating Thanksgiving, but uh, that that was very minor compared to the Christmas program that the school put on every year. Now, I don't recall any kind of Thanksgiving event in the community per se, and realize, of course, there was no such thing as television. We didn't have electricity. It wouldn't right. matter. We couldn't use it anyway. Uh, so there wasn't any of that that kind of uh, tie. Uh, I suppose in the in the little village of Wild Rose, which was uh, four and a half miles from our farm, um, the, the difference would be now they had and, and the 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 people in town, uh, the 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 butcher shop and the grocery stores and so on, they they knew that the farm people had all of their own vegetables and their own meat and all that sort of thing. So they featured at Thanksgiving time things like cranberries and and and. Uh, and so on. Mm-hmm. So that that's kind of an interesting uh, aside as well. Well, I'll tell you what, let's take our last break. And when we come back, I want to ask you about oh, some of the things that may have changed from now until then. Okay. Sure. When you think about pet food, what comes to mind isn't normally something deserving of your best friend, but at D and B you'll find a line of pet food. That's so real. You can serve it on a plate. Earthborn holistic pet food. Earthborn Holistics cater to your pet's primal needs, blending a variety of nature's finest proteins with other whole food ingredients for a kibble they'll love to nibble and will keep them healthy and happy, too. Earthborn Holistic Dog and Cat Food, available at your favorite D&B supply. Bogged down in a muddy, messy fall? Keep your feet protected and dry with a new pair of Boggs waterproof boots from D&B Supply. Boggs boots are made for mucking around. Now made with seamless construction, Boggs are lighter weight and more durable than ever before. With a variety of insulated and non-insulated styles to choose from, you'll find the right boot for any weather, every job, and everyone in your family. Keep your feet warm and dry this fall with Boggs boots. Available now at your favorite D&B Supply. All right, Jerry. Well, I wanted to ask you back in the and you know, this is really interesting when we think about the Great Depression and we think about World War Two and what was going on in our country during that time. Was Thanksgiving more of a patriotic holiday than it is today? I would not say that. We were certainly uh, during the war years. Being patriotic was an important thing. But I, I think more than anything, Thanksgiving was a way for us to be thankful that we had made it through another growing season, 
that we had some crops that uh, allowed my dad to pay the taxes on the farm. We sold off a few pigs, for example. I think it was a way for us to, with, without saying it uh, straight out, it was it was a, a way of thanking, of being thankful for what we had, the little that we had, but being thankful for that. So Thanksgiving for us at, at in those years, it, it it was a sense of what the word really meant. Mm-hmm. You know, along the lines of what uh, being thankful for what we have and and going through the Great Depression and that that time in our history. You know, today, uh, for example, in our house, we've got a separate set of dishes that'll come out for a special holiday like that for Thanksgiving, Christmas, whatever that may be. On your farm, growing up as a young man, was there any such luxury, or was it the same dishes? Yeah, that you no, used? my my mother had some special dishes too uh, that she only used for very special events. So that that's true. Uh, we would have we would have done the same thing. There were the everyday dishes, and then there were the fancy dishes. And, <laughs> Unfortunately, my my mother had accumulated some really fancy dishes. I don't know where she'd gotten them. And this is kind of a sorrowful story, but when she passed in 1993, uh, I can remember finding these very special dishes and remembering my mother saying, I'm saving these dishes for a special time. And that special time never happened. That is, dishes were never used. So if you got special dishes, folks, use them. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And then did you get any break on the chores on Thanksgiving Day? There was never a break. We milked cows <laughs> twice a day, 365 days a year. We fed cows twice a day, 365 days a year. There were no breaks. People, City people at that time even couldn't understand how in the world it was that we would well, no matter what was going on, we were still doing chores and milking cows twice a day, every day. Sure. No vacation, no break, nothing. You could do something in the middle of the day, but by golly, you better be back on the farm at 5 o'clock because there's work to be done. And did you help out in the kitchen at all on these days? No, I was the oldest, and, and, and my brothers did. I have twin brothers. They're three and a half years younger than I. They had the opportunity. <laughs> they didn't think it was a great opportunity to help my mother with the cooking and the food preparation. I was always out in the barn with my dad because I was the oldest one. Uh, so I had, I had very little to do with the food preparation. Well, along the lines of food and food preparation, what was your favorite thing to eat on Thanksgiving Day when you were a young man? Well, let's see. Uh, there were several things, but I always liked pumpkin pie. That was special. That's generally when we had it at Thanksgiving time. This is going to sound strange to some of uh, uh, of the listeners, but I liked sauerkraut, and we had a lot of it. We had baked <laughs> sauerkraut, fried sauerkraut, cold sauerkraut, hot sauerkraut, sauerkraut and wiener sauerkraut and pork chops, sauerkraut and sauerkraut and cake. No, really good chocolate cake made with sauerkraut. I always liked that too. That was really, really special. So. Um, Yep, most people don't know that, but you, sauerkraut in cake is just really wonderful. And then uh, I, I, I was no great fan of my dad's duck. <laughs> uh, it, it, I'd rather have turkey, but we uh, and my mother, I think, would rather have turkey too. But because he wanted duck, we always had duck. Well, you better enjoy it. <laughs> drove all that way to get it. <laughs> and the, uh, I still think it's funnier than all get out to have a duck in a sack. Sitting in your car. I agree. I agree. Well, Jerry, happy Thanksgiving to you and and your family, and thank you so much for sharing this with us today. I I really enjoyed the story and and hearing about what it used to be like on a a really rural farmstead. 
Very happy to do it anytime. Thank you all for joining us today, and here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the DNB Show, I'm Matt Breckwald. <laughs>